You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Hi folks, and welcome to episode 6 of the Let's Talk Photography podcast. I'm your host, Bart Bouchotts. Joining me today, I have, as ever, a fantastic panel, and uh, this time it's a, well, it's always a group of three, so it's a group of three again, two old friends and one new voice. So, uh, Alison, it's been the longest since you've been on. You were on with us in episode two, so welcome back. Well, hey, thanks for having me back, Bart. Uh, I've agreed to play the, uh, what do we call it, the everyman part? The uh, I call it the stooge that doesn't know anything part. Well, the, the, no, the, 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 I know a little bit. When we go too far, you know, when we make assumptions, we shouldn't. Sure, sure. I, I, I've I've got my my toes in the water, but I want to get in uh, over my head, and that's what this is great for. Excellent. And uh, just to remind our listeners that you are from the wonderful Nocillacast Mike podcast with an ever so slight. Wait, no, that's wrong. Yes, no, that was right. No, it's not Nocillacast. But where does it's the, the Mac podcast come in if it's the Mac podcast? It's an Nocillacast podcast host with an ever so slight Macintosh bias. That was it. I knew the yeah, Technology Geek podcast. That's the bit I was missing. There we go. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> thank you for coming back to us. Uh, Antonio is back with us as well, and Antonio has brought a friend. Yes. I've brought my partner from com, the photo workshops in Brooklyn and Manhattan. We teach people how to go back to the manual settings in our camera. So <clears throat> Tom is uh, Tom is my partner in it. Um, we work together, and I thought it would be great to have us both on, um, you know, because we're both switched to manual. So welcome aboard, Tom, and hopefully you don't find us all too scary. Thanks. No, no, I I love talking photography, so I'm I'm in heaven. It's a pleasure to be here. Excellent. Well, the topic I've picked for today sounds a bit weird. It's playing with time, I think is how I'm going to phrase it as the show title. But basically, I just want to spend an hour talking about some fun you can have with the fact that uh, the camera shutter doesn't have to operate at the same speed that our eyes operate at. Therefore, we can use that fact to see differently. That's kind of a broad topic. And uh, Antonio tells me that, uh, Tom, you're the aperture guy. No, wait. Antonio is the aperture guy. So you're the shutter Mm -hmm. guy. So, yeah. So, do you want to maybe just lead off with a, with a sort of a brief introduction to what we're going to be playing with today? Sure. Well, one of the things we talk about with shutter speed is that uh, it helps control how much light is allowed into an image. And so kind of like the human eye, if you're, you know, you walk into um, a really dark space, you're, you know, your eyes are going to be open, you're absorbing as much light as you can and trying to see and you can, you can do that with the camera by slowing down that shutter speed and the, and the shutter is just basically, we use the visual image of it being like, you know, a garage door open and closing or you might picture a window kind of opening and closing and during the time that it's open, light is coming in and so... You know, like one time Antonio and I were shooting in the cathedral um, of St. John the Divine on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. And and the cameras nowadays, these, uh, you know, DSLRs are so light sensitive that when you lower your shutter speed to a, a very low number, about 10 is about as low as I can go without a tripod and still hold the camera steady. So it's a real slow shutter speed so that window opens, stays open for a while and closes and so much light pours in, more than the human eye can see. Um, so that's, and in terms of time, you know, it's, uh, it's, the image is taken over a longer period of time and there's more light being picked up by the camera and so the image that you might get of of say in this example this big huge cavernous cathedral with candles and interesting shadows you can really create some beautiful images by slowing that shutter speed down and manipulating time in that way and then of course you can also play the exact opposite trick because exactly, I think if I remember back to my computer science days, I think the human eye sees at about 24 frames a second. So our shutter speed, for want of a better description of our eye, <laughs> is about 120, 1 over 24. 
is about how we see the world. Oh, you know, I wonder how they measured that. I don't. That's yeah, it, that no, sounds fake. Isn't it? If you flip images more than that, we see it as a smooth motion. Therefore, we must be integrating at about that speed. Isn't that it, how it's measured? It sounds like something that Kodak came up with so they could sell more film. <laughs> I wonder why they didn't say, well, we see at 48 frames a second, so we could sell twice as much film. That's true. That's, that's, that sounds about right, though, because you get to a point where you start to see things in your images that you just don't see with the naked eye. Yeah. So you know you're going lower somehow. You're opening up more. So if people want to test sort of to see with this in action, I think my advice would be grab a camera, stick it on a tripod, and find a fountain. Mm -hmm. Start off with, say, one over 4,000 or something and take a picture. And what you would expect to see is the little water droplets hanging in midair, perfectly sharp. And then keep lowering the expo or lengthening the exposures, lengthening the exposure, and lengthening the exposure until your camera just can't take in any more light. But that stage, you're going to be a much higher exposure, and you should probably see this smooth stream of water where you can't make out any individual dots anymore. And that sort of gives you an idea of the spectrum that you're playing in. Exactly. Yeah, it's a great way to to test it and experiment with it. And it's an artistic choice a lot of the time. Yeah. Well, By the way, absolutely. according to the Wiki Wikipedia, it says ten to twelve separate images per second. Huh. Uh -huh. That's really what the human eye is what we can see. Yeah. So why do computer graphics and stuff have to be at least one over twenty-four before we believe them? Because we get two eyes. That must be how it works. Yes. You know, it actually. What if? What if it did? My brother has one eye. I could test it on him. Ever the experimentalist, Allison. <laughs> Sorry, I know you guys were trying to make sense, but that was bugging me. I, I, I'll, I'll keep reading why while you guys. Well, talk. it's it's called the, it's the persistence of motion, and and you know, in some way it's related to still photography. In some ways, it's not. I mean, when you talk about we see at twenty four frames a second, that's you know the minimum amount we, where the human eye won't see the individual frames in a um, like a movie. So, which is why, you know, the old films from like World War One days, when everybody looks like they're moving fast, is because it was shot at a much slower frame rate. It was like twelve frames a second, thirteen frames a second. So you could actually see the individual frames. But twenty-four is probably the minimum that our high can perceive motion. Um, I'm now thinking it's twenty, and that the reason that our TV screens are twenty-four frames a second is to be have a little bit of extra. Now that I think about it, but anyway, we're getting slightly distracted. Yeah, yeah, but I guess it's 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 slightly two different things, you know. It's one and it's one. in that ballpark anyway, because if we believe Wikipedia, it's a tenth. If we believe me, it's a twentieth. But that's still very much in the same ballpark, and that's a ballpark that we can we can dramatically go outside of with our cameras because one four thousandth of a second is an awful lot less than any of those other num any of those numbers we've been talking about. Right. Right. So I guess yeah, the, just, does, does anyone on the panel have much – something I do, do exceptionally little of is shooting at a very high shutter speed. Does any, anyone on the panel do a lot of that? Tom? <laughs> I, I, I do. I do. I have this thing with hawks in the city. And uh, so I'm oftentimes you know, shooting up around 2,000 um, because I, you know, I'm catching them in flight. I, ha I have a shot of a, a hawk in Washington Square Park holding a rat in its talons flying through some trees. And wow. uh, another one in Central Park where it was swooping down to grab a pigeon. One Tom, of my is, the, Tom is the hawk guy, by the way. For some reason, there's a hawk that follows Tom around <laughs> the entire city and shows up wherever he is and decides to eat rats or attack bunny rabbits or fly over his head. Wow. <laughs> I'm serious. That's <laughs> cool. I missed the shot of a lifetime just the other day. This hawk swooped down at this teenager. It, it got really close to me. I walked up within about 20 feet of it. It was just the most uncanny thing, but I, I do have these experiences all the time, and, and I... You know, I, I got a shot when it jumped off the fence, but then, to my amazement, it flew right at this teenager who was also standing there looking, and the kid screamed and started to run, and then the hawk swooped, and I was so absorbed in the moment that I, I didn't shoot it, you know, and afterwards I was like, oh, how did I miss that? And so if you were to try shoot, say, that hawk at, say, one one hundredth of a second, what would be the symptoms that would make that image not very good? 
Well, it would it would be blurry, you know. I mean, those wings are moving so fast, um, and uh, yeah, it's like action sports, you know. Somebody, somebody running. Antonio has a great shot of the Blue Angels, um, you know, the the jet fighters going through the air. Really, that's the other thing we talk about when we do the um, the switch to manual workshop about shutter speed is that. Fast movement, you want a fast shutter speed. And so a lot of the wildlife stuff I do, you know, I will just, as I'm walking out into a situation where I might encounter, you know, some kind of wild animal, I'm going to have my shutter speed at generally up around 2,000 or, or faster um, so that I'm, I'm ready. And it will, it will freeze any, any movement. You know, you can get a really crisp shot of a bird in flight, an alligator splashing into the water, uh, you know, whatever it is. Cool. So there's a, a whole other case I've been using uh, a faster shutter speed, not one two thousand. So the definition of fast, I suppose, is interesting. But I w- just came back from MacWorld, and I was trying to take pictures in you know a dimly lit theater where the person is maybe kind of bright, but they're far enough away. I'm zoomed way up, so I've got a I've got an aperture I'm not real happy with. So I I, uh, I set the shutter speed fast enough that I knew they wouldn't be blurry, and then compensated some with uh, you know higher ISO. But then I knew that since I was shooting in raw, I could actually bring the picture up, uh, you know, expose it more as I, as I worked on it in post. So what, something you've hit on there is very important that there is always in photography, it's always compromise. So the penalty <laughs> you pay for this really snappy shutter speed is you don't let much light in. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's one of the things we talk about in switch to manuals that there's, that it's not only about, um, stopping time, but it's about light as well, and 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 that balance between the two. You have to you have to balance it out. I mean, in this case, you have to also balance it out with aperture. I was kind of proud of myself for doing that. that that's my big. My, that's why I was excited to be on today. Was I actually used it? <laughs> yeah, Allison, you're using all three. You know, shutter speed, aperture, ISO. I mean, that's that's the the ratio and the balance. You know, to to get the right exposure, you're totally doing it. I have to give uh, Donald Burr of Otaku No Podcast uh, credit for that. He came on my show and did a segment on how to do conference photography. And I just pull that up every time I'm going to go to a show and, okay, remember to do this, this, and this. And the one thing I always forget to do is take off my uh, CP filter before I go. So, God, this stuff's really dark. (laughs) (laughs) I guess since you live in, you know, a very sunny part of the world, that filter is probably useful more than it's not useful, but. Note, of course, that I forgot it when I went to Bora Bora. Ouch. So I say I haven't used high shutter speed much, which is true, but I did, get, I did get to play with it a while ago, and I'm very, very behind processing my images. So I posted them to Flickr this week, but I actually shot them and ages and ages ago, last summer. But I only processed them this week. And it was basically, I live along a canal. I've thought I'd seen almost everything along the canal, but I stumbled across a practice session for something called Canoe Polo. Right? Huh. If anyone, I didn't even know you could play polo yeah. with horses, but yeah. there you go. And obviously enough, I was like, slammed on the brakes, you know, and uh, <laughs> jumped out the camera, you know, powered the, the dialed the shutter speed right up because it was sport. And uh, the thing I noticed that when I was there, I couldn't see, you know, so this is a ball that's being thrown around in water. So obviously everywhere the ball goes, there's like this trail of water droplets behind it. And I hadn't noticed that with my eye, but as soon as I started editing the photographs, because the mm. shutter speed was high, every ball has these little drops of water behind it. So you actually get this nice sense that this isn't just a ball hanging in midair because the drops of water tell you what's going on. Huh. Yeah. Sounds like fun. Yeah, that's part of the beauty of it. Again, because it's capturing things that you're just not even seeing with your eye, you know. Yeah. And, and you I go guess, back later. I mean, I haven't tried this myself. I'm not really that being into sport, but I imagine if you if someone was playing football on a wet on wet grass and they kick it, there's probably a massive spray that we're not seeing and all sorts of cool stuff going on. Absolutely, mm. yeah. You know, believe it or not, we have surfers out here in New York. You know, there's a place in Queens you can actually take the subway to um, out in the Rockaways, one of the areas that was hit really hard by Sandy. And um, there's actually some pretty decent surf out there. And And so that's another instance where with a really fast shutter speed, you know, you can get some great effects when people cut back and those big sprays of water just freezing it. Um, 
Although, you know, one thing we, we say in the workshop, too, is that, you know, there's, there's not necessarily any one perfect setting. I mean, you may want a little bit of a blur rather than every water drop it, droplet perfectly clear. So it just kind of depends on, you know, the, the feeling and the vibe that you want to get on the, on the shot you're after. But, yeah, generally surfing, canoe polo, you know, the fast shutter speed is going to serve you well. Um, actually, just something else that occurs to me is so we're saying that, and generally in sport, it, you want to get that fast shutter speed, you want to freeze the action. But I can just, I just mentally can think of two instances where you need to be careful that you don't freeze it too much, or you get a really weird image. Uh, mm-hmm. The first is helicopters, right? So you might think, yeah, fast oh, shutter speed. Yeah. If you freeze that blade, your brain looks at the photo and goes. The laws of physics are broken. This thing is falling. I'm watching a disaster. <laughs> so you have to be sure that you let the shutter speed be long enough that there's some movement in that propeller, but obviously mm-hmm. still keep it short enough that the, you know, the helicopter bit is sharp. And then a what? moving car is exactly the same thing. If those wheels have stopped, it's no longer a picture of a racing car. It's a picture of a parked car. And that's not Yeah. Fun. So true. This- yeah. One let shot me ask I saw. you guys, though. Oh, okay. Sorry, but let me ask you guys. I, I can always intellectually understand that. I mean, that makes perfect sense to me, what you just said, Bart. I'm taking a picture of a car. If I've stopped the wheels, okay. But what do I do now? I just took that picture. I look and I go, mm-hmm. huh, that looks like a parked car. Okay, so then you would, depending on the mode the camera is in, you, you would have to react a little too. bit differently. But assuming yeah. you're in, let's say you're in shutter priority mode, which is... The most auto of sure. the modes where shutter speed is in your control, then right. you would simply dial it a click or two slower. Right. And try again. So dial I try again, and slower, and now again. it's too and now it's too dark. Yeah. Well, it won't be too or... dark if you're in shutter priority mode because it will be compensating the other legs of the stool. So at mm. all times you got to keep these three legs in balance, or you'll fall over. It's sort of one <laughs> way to think of it. And so if you have the camera in shutter priority mode, you are taking control of one leg of the tripod and you're letting the camera worry about the other two to keep the stool from falling over. And so if you're in shutter priority mode and you start to play with that dial, the exposure will stay the same. It's just that the shutter speed will be changing and the other stuff will change automatically to compensate. So it won't get too dark. So do you start? Oh, go ahead. If I was just going to say, if you were in manual mode and you're controlling everything, then if you're going to lower the shutter speed to get a little bit more blur in the action, then you would just increase your aperture to to maintain that balance. That's what the camera would be doing for you automatically if you're in the shutter priority mode. So if you're manual and you just want to slow down the shutter, you just increase your aperture setting and keep that balance. Now, the magic, Alison, this, this is kind of voodoo until, until you realize it. You know the way it looks like the, the, the amount of each click is random? It's like, why do we go from 1 over 320 to 1 over 400? And then why <laughs> yeah. do we go to 1 over 640? What is, what is going on there? And then why do the F numbers go in such weird settings? The magic is that they're all entirely equal. So if you click one click exposure and you do one click aperture in the other way, that exactly balances. Oh, and that's why I the numbers are so odd. It's one stop or one third of a stop on a modern camera for each click. So if you click, so you're in full manual, you click the shutter one way, the aperture the other way. Your, you know, your, your brightness will be the same at the end of the day, but you've done it with a slower or a faster shutter speed. Oh, that's just actually to, good well, advice. Well, just to add, though, making sure that your camera, a lot of cameras set the ISO automatically. So if your ISO does not move, yes, then the exposure will be That would be true. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But so it's like Tom, a see, you know, we, we use in our in our class, we use the idea of a, a teeter totter, a seesaw, that those you go up in shutter speed, you go down in aperture and vice versa. Those all create the same exposure. They don't create the same effect when you're taking hmm. the picture, because one is a slower shutter speed, one's a higher shutter speed, one's a lower aperture, one's a higher aperture, and they do different things. Actually, but they're I all like the that same. because the fulcrum in your uh, analogy is ISO because you're holding it still. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So I want to ask Tom something. So you're the shutter priority guy. You're you're the big old expert on this topic. You're you go to the racetrack to take a picture of this car. You probably know where to start the the shutter speed. I don't. I, I want to take uh-huh, a picture uh-huh. of uh, uh, the thing I'm always trying to do, and I've never succeeded at getting a good picture of this, is uh, like uh, when Gazmaz took us on a drive um, through Wales. We stopped at this waterfall, and I thought, wow. I'm going to put my camera on shutter priority. I'm going to get that cool fluid motion with everything standing still. And I could not get that right at all. I knew, I knew what dial to turn and I took uh-huh. a whole bunch of pictures, but I didn't get anything good. 
Yeah, well, I mean, practice makes perfect, you know, and I, I do less landscape, more kind of like I'm, I'm most of the time trying to photograph fast-moving things and trying to, to freeze them. So whether it's wildlife or sports or um, street life. Um, but, you know, we, we talk a lot about continuums and just to kind of orient folks to sort of general settings and what kind of effect you'll get. And so, you know, like the, the lower numbers uh, on the shutter speed of, um, say, like around 100, I mean, that's somebody walking around, somebody just gesturing with their hands as they're talking, that's going to, you know, it's going to capture that motion and that's going to be adequate for just kind of a, you know, you're say you're shooting a speaker at some event, but you know, once things start to speed up, the shutter speed should be speeding up as well. So, if it's you know a, a bike race or somebody jogging or your kids playing soccer, then you know you're going to want to be up around 500, and you know, and then things going really really fast, like you know these hawks I see in the city or you know, a bike race or somebody zipping by you at a real high rate of speed, you know, then you're going to be up around a thousand. But, you know, yeah, it's just through shooting and doing it and looking at the back of your camera and seeing where you're getting. Um, and well, that's something, that's something we say in our, in our <laughs> class. We, we use that as sort of the, the simple example. It's like if something's moving fast, think, you know, think fast shutter speed. You know, fast is but fast. But what is fast? Is fast 250? Is fast 1,000? Is fast 5,000? The, the, the higher the number, the faster the shutter speed. I, mean, well, I know that, I mean, but how fast? Yeah, I, tend fast. To, I, I tend, I tend to think of like a th- a thousand is, is is fast. I mean, you know, depending on the lens, depending on your camera, you can go faster and faster, and and there's no obviously no harm in doing that if you're really trying to free something, you know, and then you're just thinking larger, you know, in terms of the larger overall exposure and just kind of keeping that balance. But um, I mean, generally. A thousand is going to freeze most things that you're encountering. You know, um, like I said, I don't think things I've ever turned it up that high. <laughs> really? <laughs> most cameras can go up to around. a thousand. Yeah, yeah. Most yeah, cameras can go up to like eight you. thousandth of a second. So. Oh, I'm sure they do. I just, yeah, yeah I just I, I think, think I've ever done that. Stops at one four thousandth. Yeah, a lot of the new modern ones are going up to eight. That the shutters are um, are the electronic shutters rather than mechanical shutters. They go much faster. Yeah, because um, it, 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 like myself and Alison both shoot Nikon D fifty one hundreds, and there's a big prism being flapped up and down. Yeah, that's the that's the thing about the there's the newer cameras. We're getting a, you know the what what's called mirrorless cameras. I know you've been probably hearing about this the with the electronic finders because of the like the new Fuji. I'm gonna get the number wrong. It's like X TX one or XT one or something like that. It looks like a DSLR, hmm. but it doesn't have a mechanical shutter. So um, one of the things it doesn't have to do is flap that you know mirror up and down to take a picture. So you can get much faster shutter speeds with that. But I was going to say I was going to go back to the shutter speeds, Allison. But what you're saying about you know the the shutter speed speed can be different also depending on the direction that the action is moving. So if 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 someone's if something's moving towards you, your speed doesn't have to be as high um, generally because it's coming at you. Um, but going across from like left to right or down, you generally want to have a higher speed. Now, of course, like if you're on a racetrack, it doesn't matter. You want to have the highest shutter speed possible. But generally, if someone's coming at you, like if you're, you know, shooting a, 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 a jogger or something like that, your speed doesn't necessarily have to be a thousandth of a second. You could probably get away with two fiftieth of a second or, you know, five hundredth hmm. of a second. Um, it, it, the context I matters. I get that redshift, blue shift problem, Mark. You get yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, uh, it's it's something that you know. As you get more experience shooting, you begin to understand when the shutter speeds, um, you know, are important. Like what um, higher shutter speeds you need uh, yeah, for I, stopping I the tell action. You, for example, that at eighteen millimeters, if there's a train coming, at one three hundredth is the absolute minimum. It's really only of interest to me, though. <laughs> no, no, that's useful. Those kinds of things help you get oriented, you know, I think, just to have a general sense of where you want to be. One thing that I like to do that's really fun, I think, and it's a fun thing to play around with is, you know, like if you're in an urban environment and there's lots of people going by on bicycles, mm-hmm. you know, or say, I, you know, I was in Cuba and I was doing this with, with all the cool cars there, and you were saying, Bart, that, you know, a, a stationary 
car, I mean, even if the car is moving, if you have a really high shutter speed, it just makes for kind of a boring image. Um, but like to to increase the aperture, so that keeps a lot of, of the light out, and then you can turn your shutter speed down really low, but then move the camera with the, you, the subject that you're photographing. So if it's a car passing from left to right, you're sort of, you know, moving the camera with it, and, and, and so when you take that image, the car will be in focus, but then everything in the background is blurry. Or if it's somebody on, on a bike in the city, um, you know, you get some really cool images where your subject is totally in focus and everything else is just a blur with that, you know, so you're using a low shutter speed to capture the movement, which is counterintuitive because normally fast movement, you want a fast shutter speed. But if you turn it down and move the camera with the subject, then, you know, you can still freeze a lot of that motion and, and I, I just like doing that. It's a fun thing to do playing around in the city. Tom, I just I just shared two of the pictures that you're talking about. It's amazing that you were thinking about those. It, it, but the cool. shot of the cab and the shot of the bike that you just sh- uh, Cool. Uh-huh. The, yeah. the technical term for this is pan blur because you're panning with the thingy be it a bicycle uh-huh. or a train. I've never heard that term. Like. Cool. Uh-huh. And it, it is a spectacularly fun thing to do but I would... I, it's one of those things where, you, I, I, I don't know, every time I do this, I always put the camera on rapid shutter fire because I'm not obviously as good at panning as I should be. Because <laughs> uh-huh. I don't ever seem to be quite able to match my speed exactly all the time. But if you put it on a rapid fire, almost by the laws of probability, you've got to get it right at least sometimes. So when you do get it right, it's so much fun. It, it's yeah, yeah. So, I'm sorry, guys. That's an upper upper division course you guys are talking about. <laughs> no, it's that, not right. I, it's not. No, it's no, not no. It is. I, it's really not. I can't. I can't. I can't freeze a guy's hands in a conference, and I can't get the water to look blurry in a okay, in a well, waterfall. You guys do are doing both. Easy. This is actually really easy to learn. Okay, so you take your camera, and you set the shutter. So you look at your lens, and you say it's at 18 millimeter. Then you put your camera at one over 18, and then it's the right setting for a pan blur. One over 18 watts. Okay, so if you're, whatever your millimeters on your lens is, one over that, approximately. 18 millimeter what lens, is one over, one over 18? 20. 50 millimeter lens, one over 50. Are you talking about shutter speed, one over yeah. 18? Yeah. Whatever the okay. millimeters are, set your shutter speed to one over that. Okay, why? Because that's approximately the best you can handhold, which is exactly what you want for this kind of thing. You want the slowest shutter speed you can hold by hand, and then just follow the thingy. Huh. So that's a rule of thumb that actually works. And once is there, you is there math behind speed. that, or just happens to be so? <laughs> it, it, the laws of averages. So if you find that they're all coming out blurry, maybe maybe you're maybe you've had too much coffee, and maybe you need to have a slightly quicker. <laughs> speed. You know, Allison, this is definitely something. The pan blurs is something that practice really comes into play. Like what I do is, I I, I just shared the shot. I don't know if you saw it with the taxi cab um, blurring. And uh, it's in the chat. And I'm, what I've done is like that. I took that in Columbus Circle and I just stood there and I watched taxi cabs come by for like 30 minutes. And every time one came by, I'd set my shutter speed low and, and I would just pan um, left and right. And I'd look at the back of the camera like, oh, okay, that looks okay. And that looks okay. And I just keep practicing until I get the speed right. So, I mean, you know, that's the plus about having digital these days because you can instantly get your feedback on that. But, but it, it, it's not going to happen immediately. It's like this practice. It's definitely so. You know, maybe it finally. works well when you have something that's repeatedly doing this. Exactly. Yes, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I and mean, if you go to a park where there's lots of people, like a Prospect Park, there's a big, huge loop, and people are just constantly biking around, you know. And so you can just stand there and just shoot and shoot and shoot and just look at the back of the camera, see where you're getting, make little adjustments, and you know, after a while, you start to get a feel for it. Or any busy street, you know, just. Um, I've got the strand. Yeah. I could try it on bikes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely, you could. Oh yeah, yeah. But don't you yeah. don't you think we should get me to where I can <laughs> I can do the easier stuff first? This is one of the easiest. <laughs> this is actually one of the easiest and most. It's surprisingly easy. Yeah, it's really not that hard. And satisfying and so too, because you, you get such a cool effect. You know, and people are like, how yeah. did you do that? And you're like, ooh, I'm mm-hmm. not going to tell you. So, <laughs> take out your 18 millimeter lens or whatever. The the lower the millimeters, the wider the field of view, the easier it is to pan. Because if you zoom in and oh. you try to keep an accurate pan, you're in for a lot. Of See, that's what I always do. I always try to zoom way in. Nah, don't stand yeah. close and pan. Oh, yeah, and also the pan is a bicycle. Yeah, the panning, ex- uh, the panning, and the wide angle accentuate the movement. Because of a wide angle. If you had a telephoto, you wouldn't necessarily see the movement so much because it's such a narrow field of view 
but the wide angle has a large field of view. And so when you pan, you create more of a blur and you get that – you just get more of a sense of movement, which is what this kind of picture is about. Yeah, and the other and thing I'm to bear in mind it. is because the only thing that's going to be in focus is the, the bike or the whatever you're looking for – the bike uh-huh. can actually be quite small in the frame and the effect will still work spectacularly well. You, you exactly. don't need to have it frame filling because it's going to catch your eye. Yeah, and <laughs> with a wide angle, yeah, so you're catching everything. And so, I mean, I'll just focus on a point in the street where most people are passing. So then the focus is already done because if you try to do it on autofocus, the camera is not going to know what to focus on. So I just do that first and then, you know, um, kind of pan across. And I, I usually... I guess I've just found this to work the best for me is that if something's going like from left to right, when it's, I will be moving with it. And when it's directly in front of me is when I take it. Yeah. I think I'll be doing that rap, rapid shutter thing there too, Bart. <laughs> yeah, I, I find that'll work. And the other thing is because whatever it is is moving across your field of view, you're never going to get all of it sharp. Because uh-huh. there's going to be a different relative speed between the back of the car and the front of the car. So there's going to be a point that's pixel, pixel sharp, and the mm-hmm. rest is not going to be sharp. So I tend to keep trying until I get the note. Well, and you can guess what I'm doing this on trains, right? Mm-hmm. I, I do it when the, no- when the nose of the really? train is sharp, I consider it a success. Yeah, you uh-huh. would have thought, huh? Um, I'm just trying to dig up. By the way, I'm going to stick the examples that have been mentioned into the show notes, and I am just trying to find. I would thought I would have tagged my own photos properly. Because I'm trying to find a train one that actually worked properly. I really I should. I did then properly. Get, Good for me. I should give you one of my, my crappy photos where I can't do what I'm trying to do. <laughs> uh-huh. You only put the good ones in. Well, yeah, of course you only put the good of ones in. <laughs> By the way, isn't that actually the, the true art of photography is knowing what to show people? Uh, oh, yeah. Yes. How to, how to <laughs> edit. a lot of sense. Yeah. We're going to do a show exactly. on editing, right, Bart? Oh, we certainly are, yes. That's yeah. Uh, you know the way we we started off the the many the phases of photography. But before you before you press the shutter, we'll be doing one of those on editing your stuff as well. So there's probably my favorite of my train ones. I actually have I have this one giant and as my wallpaper on my computer. And again, because oh, yeah, yeah, the train is yeah. at ninety degrees, there's a lot of it sharp. Uh, but if it was coming at me, I'd only get a bit of it sharp. It's a very very fun thing to do. Very easy. Uh, I would say don't do it on something like if, if there's like a special something like a special steam train that's going to come by once in a year. Don't do a pan right. Yeah. that. Right, right. <laughs> you know, you're going to be throwing it in the bin and going to be cranky. But like bicycles, yellow cabs, stuff that comes by all the time. Have at it. If you get 1% of them right, you're, you're, you have a winner and it's going to get views. It's going to get likes. People are just going to love it. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. When I, when I was in Cuba, you know, there's constantly these old cars from the 1950s going by. There's also a lot of horse-drawn carts, and there's a lot of people on mopeds and bicycles. And, the, you know, the, like the Havana, um, the buildings, the architecture is just hauntingly beautiful, but you don't necessarily have to see it in detail. And so that the pan blur is just perfect in that kind of situation. Now, to bring us back to the racing car example... Right. There's a perfect example of where if you, do, if you get the shutter speed right and you do your pan right, you can get the background blurred, the wheels blurred, and the car sharp. And then you have yeah. yourself a winner. Yep. That goes yeah. for Again, like, too. Yeah, and race, I mean, that, you know, I would never want to go on a job like my first time uh, to a racing job and, like, have to, you know, get shot the first time. That's definitely a practice kind of, like, I'd want to do that. Mm-hmm. Many times before someone actually paid me to shoot that because, you know, the fat, like even that or, or, or sports, you know, like, you know, um, football or something like that. There is there is an art to those to those guys who can who can capture that motion uh, and get it really, you know, get that action and know the right shutter speed and know like, you know, the wheels are turning really fast on the cars and like how to where they set the focus on it. I mean, pfft. Yeah. Those guys know what they're doing. But again, it's like, you know, even as a pro, you'd want to practice this stuff um, um, a lot. So Now, I'm going to use this concept of blurs to pivot us into the inverse of what we've been talking about so far. Slow so, so far we've had, we started off with fast shutter speeds, and now we've gone to the slowest you can handhold. And the next step is, well, stop handholding it. Stick it on a tripod and really have at it. And you can get very, very extreme with your shutter speeds, and then other strange effects start to happen. 
Um, now, this is something I spend an awful lot of time doing because I like photographing when there's no light. And when there's no light, <laughs> long exposure time is helpful. Yep, and you've got to have a tripod at that point. Yeah. But it's, yeah, it's, again, it's amazing what you can capture. I, Antonio and I ran into a, a woman in, uh, again, Washington Square Park who had this illuminated hula hoop. Oh, yeah. And, and so we set up a photo shoot, and, um, and so that was, you know, with a tripod, time lapse, just the shutter would be open for, I think I, I was doing it for about, you know, it was open for about 30 seconds. And during that time, she was dancing and creating these geometric patterns with this illuminated hula hoop um, that, you know, there's just no way you can hold the camera steady long enough. But, you know, if you have a tripod, that's great. If, oftentimes, you can just find a table or any, anything steady to put your camera on. And that bulb mode, uh, you know, is, uh, is useful in those situations. Um, the B on your little dial um, of you know what mode you're shooting in. Then as long as you press the button, the shutter stays open. So you can you can hold it open for 30 seconds or a couple minutes, however long you want. And as Antonio has pointed out to me, there's there's a device that you can attach to the camera so that you're not actually pushing the button to take the picture because that in itself will move your camera a little bit. Yeah. Called a cable release or electronic uh, shutter release. Or if you're very old-fashioned about it, if it's dark enough, you put a piece of paper in front of the camera, and you open the lens, you take the piece of paper away. <laughs> that's pretty. That's pretty old-fashioned. <laughs> old right? But if it's dark enough, I like that. that kind of shenanigans. That's I guess cool. it would work in a pinch. But uh, you know, I wanted to. You talked about the the long um, shutter uh, exposures, um, hmm. and uh, I. I can't remember if I told you guys about this, but one time I was in Cape Cod at night and I was like, you know, I live in New York, so I don't see any stars. So I was in Cape Cod, Massachusetts, and there was night and there were stars. And I was like, wow, I can see stars. And instead of a tripod, I used my car and my jacket. And I took my camera and I pointed it up and I let it sit on my coat and the top roof of my car. And I set the time exposure and um, self, uh, self-release on the camera. And a mirror up so that I could let the camera, you know, go off in like 10 seconds and then settle down, take a picture. And I set different exposures and it just pointed it toward the sky. And uh, very long exposures. I just altered like between 10 seconds and 20 seconds, just enough that I wouldn't be able to see, you know, the blur of the stars. And I just wanted to see what I could see. And I was amazed at how many stars I could pick up with that technique. And so it's not quite astrophotography because I'm not using a telescope. I was just using the camera and a, I think a 35 millimeter lens. Um, does that I, count as astrophotography? Well, I, I, yeah, and yes and no. I mean, I think astrophotography is a certain kind of photography to be able to capture and do like stacking of, you know, images. There's all this kind of tricky stuff. And maybe it's one part of astrophotography, but I don't really... You know, but I'm not tracking the stars. You know, it's like uh, it literally is just a very, very long exposure. Um, we actually did that when we were in uh, New Zealand uh, just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we were out in a little place called Martinboro outside of Wellington. And we walked out of this cabin and we looked out and it's just like, my God, it's full of stars. <laughs> you couldn't help but say it. And, uh, and so Steve and I just said, all right, we're going we're gonna to do this. And Bart had talked me into buying the little $15 remote shutter, which I actually remember to bring with me on like my CP filter. And so we, we, we just kind of sat it on its, on its face. We didn't have a tripod with us. We sat it face down with the, the lens up and just started clicking it until we went longer and longer exposures. Now when I'm, I'm looking at back at some of those photos, and some of them are really good, uh, some of them I'd really like to show but have so much noise in them. So I actually ended up buying the, um, oh, uh, who makes the all the filters, the Topaz uh, Adjust uh, Denoise. Yeah. I just bought that, and I'm going to take a shot at trying to figure that out, see if I can get rid of some of those, uh, some of the noise in it. No, Denoise is pretty good, actually. It's the one I use for, for any time I have to push my ISO too high. It's got to be better than nothing that Aperture does. Yes, yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> Aperture has a button that's just a fake button, you know? <laughs> So something I think we mentioned. Oh, but there's this. one thing wrong with my photos. All the stars are upside down because <laughs> it what? was in the southern hemisphere. Oh, <laughs> because oh, Orion is standing on his head. It, huh. It's the freakiest thing when Alison showed me a picture of Orion upside down over a house the right way up. Just it messes with your head. 
You know what? Uh, when I when I took the shot on the roof of the car, I just pointed it randomly, and when I got and looked at the picture, I'm like, "There's a smudge on it." And I looked at it closely, and I had captured the Andromeda Galaxy, which I was like, "I was like, oh, I are you it. kidding me? I I've never done that before. My first shot of the sky, I'm like capturing another galaxy. I mean, I guess the galaxy is very large in the sky anyway. It, it's the biggest one that's out there, unless you're in the southern hemisphere, right? Where they have How could I miss ones. it, right? Yeah, <laughs> but but again, it was like this. This idea of opening up the camera and using the camera to see something that your eye can't naturally see. And um, we were talking before the show started about when Tom and I went to the Cathedral of St. John the Divine in, in, in New York City, upper, on the Upper West Side. And uh, it was actually the first time I had been there. And I'm ashamed, you know, as a New Yorker, I haven't been up there and sit with Tom. And I got in there and it was pitch black. That place was so dark. I could not believe There's how dark it was. hardly any lights, yeah. There's hardly any Candles. light. And it was, it was like an overcast day, right, Tom, or something like that? It was like, yeah, it a wasn't bit. a great day, yeah. yeah, where we got there late in the afternoon and the sun was like on its way down. And um, I, I think I just shared that shot with you guys that Tom took uh, inside when he did the handheld shot at wide angle. And it looks like it's brightly lit in there because you were holding it, what, a tenth of a second, you said, on yeah, that shot? Ten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it looks like it's brightly lit and it's, you know, our eyes were not seeing that. The The camera was able, with the shutter speed open for a long time, a uh, slow shutter speed, it was able to pull in all that light and give you the detail that, that you couldn't see naturally. And the fact that Tom did it without a tripod, I'm, you know, pretty amazed. Were you it. leaning against something? No, no, oh, I just, you know, held, held my breath and stood as, as still as I could. I just you need to I, drink more. <laughs> he drinks lots of coffee. I, often, I just, you know, I, I, I carry like all of my gear with me all of the time. And because of that, I mean, I just, I, but I, a tripod, I've, I've, I, I draw the line there. It's like I'm, I don't bring a tripod with me everywhere. So I generally don't have one. But even, you know, being out in the city at night, I've noticed, I'm sure you guys have noticed this too. When, when you go down to, to, you know, just a really low shutter speed, but even hand holding night shots, the sky will appear so blue. You know, it's like the camera will pick up that blue that we're not seeing with the naked eye, but it, it makes for some really beautiful images. Yeah, we, Do you guys ever feel guilty sharing those? Like sometimes I'll take a sunset photo and go, dang, it didn't look nearly that cool in real life. <laughs> no, yeah, no, I don't feel guilty at all. It's like, okay. you know, that's where I think the creativity is coming in and the, and the advances in technology. I mean, the camera is picking up things that, that we're not seeing with the naked eye. And so it's, I think it's, it's like it's fun to, to share that, you know? Yeah. I guess since there's a lot of pictures we take where it looked really cool in real life and it looked like crap in the photo, it's okay to show the other ones? Yeah, yeah. totally. <laughs> but, I mean, the, 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 the point is, are you taking photographs with the purpose of showing what it looked like with the eye or are you taking photographs with the purpose of making beautiful pictures? Right. Exactly. Yeah. If you're doing it yeah. to make beautiful pictures, it really doesn't matter what your eye would or wouldn't have seen. What matters is what you've captured with the camera. And I mean, so we looked at pan blurs or we made the blur by us moving the camera. But if you just put a camera on a tripod and leave the shutter open for five, ten seconds or whatever, assuming there isn't too much light, which is a bizarre problem to run into in photography, because I usually run into the opposite problem. But assuming there isn't too much light, you can start to do kind of cool things. So yeah. I'll just stick an example here into the show notes there. Um which is just taken at dusk so that I didn't have too much light. And that's basically a 15-second exposure, so a, computer, a commuter train becomes something rather cool and surreal. Oh, that's gorgeous. And, that, you know, and of course, that's not what you really saw. Of course not. Yeah, but I saw a train slowly making its way by. Um, you know, so if you just take your tripod to somewhere and stick your camera on it, you can have great fun. And, I mean, most of us in the civilized world live somewhere near a road. I think that's fair to say. In fact, Alison, I think you may live near a lot of... Actually, that's all three of you. You all live near lots of traffic. I'm pretty sure about that. Uh, we oh, have yeah. traffic. And traffic so right. a tripod, some patience, and maybe try not to get run over. And then, you know, stuff like what I've just stuck into the show notes is, is just, you know, about 30 seconds away in that case. Hmm. Um, has anyone on the panel played with, with light trails of, from roads or trains? or? Something? Yes. Yes, I have done that. And, and mildly successful. So did anything strike you about the process? Well, what makes the difference between one that you're going to keep and one you're not going to keep? 
Hmm. <laughs> you I mean in terms been... of what technique I used? No. No. I know okay. which ones look neato, though. Oh, yeah, okay. So, yeah, that's what I mean. But which ones look neato and which ones end up in the bin? Is, is there a pattern you've spotted? Oh, the long streaks of light. So I was doing it at Christmas time when everybody had the Christmas lights out and then the cars were going by. Mm-hmm. So I got nice. these red streaks, but with the Christmas lights in the background. And that was, uh, that was fun. So, so what I'm fishing for very badly is that it really, <laughs> really matters whether or not the lights magically start or stop within the image. And I, in my experience, if you can have one side of the light trail breaking into the frame unbroken, it will tend to look better than if it starts and stops within the frame. Hmm. So if you... Actually, I'll, I'll stick in... I'm going to share here what I think... What is, what is hands down my favorite photograph of my entire life that I have ever taken ever because it wow. captures seriously it captures all oh, three boy. of my hobbies in one photograph it cap, it's mm. photography so that's one it captures the moon and the planet Venus and it captures a train all in the one photo and it happens to be huh. a what, what are the circles around the lights around the stars I mean uh, oh you're to- yeah the motorway one that's uh, topaz star effect oh, okay <laughs> oh so that is a shot of a commuter train coming from out of frame behind us, through us, and then its headlights are shining ahead of it, so it's lighting up the speed limit sign in front of it. Looks like you have a plane, too, in the sky or, or the I IS, do actually next or the, to or the, the space video. station or yes. something. Yes, no, it's, it's an <laughs> And that's about, a, I think it's about a 20-second exposure. And so train reflected in canal, two light trails. <laughs> but I, the same night I took that shot, I spent about an hour standing there. Got very cold feet. Mm. And um. all of the ones I threw in the bin were ones where the, the light trail started and stopped within the frame. They all looked terrible. But hmm. any one where the light trail only had one start or stop point within the frame felt right. I haven't, I'm not sure if that's just I, my opinion or if that... No, I understand that. It's like, yeah, because, I mean... Aesthetically, you know, it's it's it's. I don't know. Your eye, it's leading your eye. Your your eye wants to go yeah. someplace, and and yeah. if you sort of start in the middle, if this light streak sort of happens in the middle and then stops in the middle, it just it just becomes, in a sense, for me, like a, from the film days, mm-hmm. it it would look like a scratch on on a piece of film. It look, it wouldn't look right. It wouldn't look placed right. And so I know what you're talking about. Like aesthetically, it'd be like my eye wants to go someplace and it has no place to go. And so it just sort of stops. I mean, it could work. So, it doesn't mean it's not going to work in every shot. I mean, or, you know, be a failure in every shot. So but it, I, can, I understand it. It looks slightly accidental. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I just posted one that I was proud of. Um, and again, not by talent, but luck, perhaps. I had a three-second exposure. This, again, was when the Christmas lights were up, which is what I thought I was capturing. But the car... Uh, headlights are are coming towards you i'm not quite sure how i did this but at the end of it you actually see the car in in sharp focus yes. is that a so the car that's being lit by the headlights that are not in sharp focus oh maybe it is yeah that's what it looks like to me Which it's cool perfect. looking though isn't it what but i always thought it was the car that i was photographing that i I think it's no, the, because it's in, because the lights are on the you can see the lights on the car the reflection of the yeah. headlights are on yeah. the car so you know, it, it might be a second driving, car it might yeah, be a second, a second car, car. that's Those driving, or maybe... Cars. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But, well, why do the lights stop in the middle of the photo, then, if that isn't the right car? Your shutter open and closed. Open and closed. Oh, so maybe it's the car on the far right No, it's that's no. actually the headlight. No, no you the wouldn't car, see it. Oh, because it had to have moved. Invisible, Allison. It didn't stay in the one place long enough to be picked up. It couldn't. That's what happens. The moving thing vanishes. If you look at my train, like my first train example at dusk, that's a train, but you can see through it. It's like a ghost of a train. But that yeah. was still half bright. When it's fully dark, the car just vanishes. So, hmm. but I got to say this before. Um, there's this photographer, and I'm not going to remember his name, but he did these pictures of city, city scenes. And he did, them, he did them on film. And he did really, really long exposures. So he might have used uh, neutral density filters and a very small aperture. But what he did was, as he took the exposure, he passed his hand in front of the lens every second, right? So he was just crossing his hand in front of the lens for over and over and over, however long the exposure was. The end result was like a street scene, like, say, Times Square or something like that. Hmm. And the picture showed Times Square in the middle of the day with no people in it. The mere act of 
n- unless someone was standing still, but he often shot places where there weren't wasn't anybody standing still in one place for that long. Because he passed his hand in front of the lens often enough, it, it and people were moving and objects were moving. Nobody was in the frame long enough to be exposed, and that ended up this very strange street scene in the daytime That's with n- with nobody in the picture. That's kind of so. This is sort of the same same kind of thing. That reminds me of I can't remember the name of the photographer, but I remember seeing it in a history photography course. The first ever photograph of a person was an accident. It was a street scene that was shot over like 20 minute exposure time but a guy stopped to have his shoe shine and the entire street is empty he's in this completely empty street but the one guy is blurrily in focus because he stood still while his shoes were being shined interesting interesting hey Bart I'm getting the audio's gone yeah Antonio Antonio, talk for a second we might we might lose lose him Hello. Oh, no, it's I'm it's here. you, Tom. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah, Tom, can you can you plug your headset out and back in? Okay. Yeah, okay. Wow. Oh. That does happen. Isn't yeah. that, Isn't that what what podcast is called? Siloning. Yes. <laughs> oh, oh you're back. Hey. Okay. Okay. Wow, back? That was weird. It was just yeah, it was yeah. just going to get worse. Yeah, it was going. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, apparently, apparently it's something to do with with a hardware driver that gets wonky after an hour, which tells me we've been recording for or we've been on the call for about an hour. Which is yeah, right. yeah, it yeah. is. But it also tells you. I think it's always associated with headsets, not regular uh, mics. Really? Yeah. Anyway, yeah. so Allison, your shot there with the blur, right? What you've done there simulates something else you can do that I'd actually forgotten that I wanted to talk about, which is the idea that you use your flash to freeze the object that you have a blur from. Because your did? flash is like a second, right? Okay. So you do that kind of shot with the big light trails, and either at the start or the end, which is called rear curtain flash or front curtain flash, the flash just fires for a millisecond. So the flash will freeze whatever. So then you would have the car that caused the lights would be, you know, frozen either at the back of the light trail or the front of the light trail, and the light trail would still happen. So what I thought I captured, which I didn't, hmm. <laughs> was the car at the end. You're saying I could have done that with the Front curtain the, flash or rear? Your rear curtain flash if the car was coming towards you, which judging by the whiteness of the lights it was. Okay. So that would mean that the exposure would happen and you'd have your 20 seconds, 15 seconds, 5 seconds, whatever it took to make the line. And then at the very end, your camera's flash would fire. And that would freeze the car, freak out the driver, cause an accident, but make a cool photograph. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, you can do, you, you, so you can you can choose on most cameras whether the flash goes first and then the big long exposure, or whether the flash goes second or sorry goes at the end after the big long exposure, and I've used it once or twice uh, to try get a picture of people looking at stars, so you can't make them stand still for twenty for, for twenty seconds or thirty seconds or whatever your exposure time is, so you say to them you just stand still till you see the flash, mm-hmm. and then so you have it in front curtain flash. The flash goes off, it captures the people on the ground, and then you leave the shutter open for the 20, 30 seconds it takes to catch the stars. And in theory, it doesn't always work in practice, but in theory, you get a picture of people looking at stars. Let me ask you whether that would have worked. Um, on, on this trip, we, we were at a little Indian village that, that you – I'm sorry, not an Indian village. It was a um, Chinese village uh, created during the gold rush. And uh, people still pan for gold there. And there was a guy with this old looking hat on. He was panning for gold. And I asked him to pose for me. And what I wanted was the rushing water, but him frozen kind of doing it or, or maybe him moving. But if I'd wanted him frozen, could I have used a, a, a rear or front curtain flash there? That probably would have wrecked the water though, right? Well, the, the problem mm. is that because it's daylight, his movement wouldn't be would be too would be bright enough to be ghosting. So you'd have a sharp him, and a ghosty him. Oh, and it might look okay. a bit weird. It might be quite artistic, though. Okay, you should try it. Yeah, I got I him to hold enough still, but he kept shaking his hand, which actually worked out perfectly because you can tell he's panning, panning for, for gold. gold. Yeah, a bit of motion. Yeah. He didn't do what I told him to do, but it worked. <laughs> Something which used to be popular in the disco days, and I haven't tried it myself, is you can do that rear curtain, or the front curtain flash thing. So you set up a long exposure in a dance floor where it's dark. So you, you get a sharp shot of the people who are dancing, and then you wiggle the camera around. And then all the lights in the background are just random blurs. Mm. Oh, but they were sharp? But they're sharp because you caught them with the flash. 
With the flash mm-hmm. first, yeah. And then all the lights in the ceiling are the ones that you're jiggling around and making into a complete random mess. Oh, I want to do that. That sounds fun. It's, it's yeah, it good. does. <laughs> I'm not really big into dancing, but that's one excuse to get me onto a dance floor. <laughs> the, the one well, I about, would dance, but I'm photographing. Yeah. Exactly. The one thing about flash photography, I mean, there's so many, so many fun things you can do with it. And this rear curtain thing, you know, also could depend on your shutter speed too, like what you get in the background. So if you have a slower shutter speed, you're letting more light into the camera. So whatever's in the background, like if you're shooting a party, for instance, and you're using your flash, your flash is going to stop the action. This is kind of in the rear curtain, front curtain direction. But, um, you know, your flash will stop the action. But if your shutter speed is still open, you know, if you have a 30th of a second or 15th of a second, it's going to let more of that ambient light in to um, – into the camera so you'll have more exposure in the background so you'll stop the action and then you'll see a lot of what's going on in the background too so can we go over that slowly one more time of which one's front and rear curtain so front curtain means flash fires then exposure happens okay rear curtain means exposure happens then flash fires so how do i know which one to use when depending on when you want the the flash so if you imagine there's a motorbike... I don't know, which, I don't know okay, when right, I want well, the Let's flash. imagine there's a motorbike coming towards you and you're going to do a 15-second exposure or a 5-second exposure. So you're going to get the light trail from the motorbike's headlights. Mm-hmm. If you do a front curtain flash, it'll flash at the start so you'll see the motorbike and then the light trail will seem to dart out of the front of his headlamp towards you. Oh, if you do the other okay. way, you'll catch the bike at the end of the light so it'll be as if a streak has gone behind him. So which do you want? Okay. Okay, okay, I gotcha. So, and in All right. fact, I think a motorbike is the example that's used on the pretty pictures in the Nikon menus. <laughs> Which, by the way, could you just tell me what you mean, not show me all those pictures? I sit there going, well, wait, do I, do I want a picture of a duck or a child now? <laughs> <laughs> I really find those useless. Indeed. So the, we're sort of getting to our hour mark, and I don't like these shows to go on too long. So... If anyone has any final thoughts on, on this stuff, maybe if anyone has some pearls of wisdom thrown at the end, that might be a nice way to end. Um, I'll just go to Tom, do you have any final thoughts? Oh, I mean, just as a recap, you know, one of our mantras in the Switch to Manual workshop is just, um, you know, fast motion, fast shutter speed. So just in general, when people are kind of getting out there and playing around with it, you know, if it's sports, if it's wildlife, things are moving fast. Go with the children running speed. around. Children running yeah, around. Yeah. yeah. Fast movement, fast shutter speed. That'd be my parting message. Sounds good. Antonio? Uh, parting message. Ooh. Or um, just something else we haven't covered yet that you want to throw in. Like, you know. Don't feel it has to be like thirty seconds. I just realized I forgot something really cool, so I'm gonna cheat. <laughs> yeah, well, well. <laughs> um, in the um, the idea that we have these cameras now that you can you can experiment as much as possible and it doesn't cost you anything. Um, the idea that you know, sort of want to reiterate the idea of practicing because none of this stuff is very easy. I mean, we make it sound easy, and you know, Tom and I have been doing this stuff for years. And we're still doing it. We're still practicing it. And so have you, Bart. And, oh, you know, it's just it's like it's one of these things that, you know, I still have to sit there on the street corner and see, did I get the right shutter speed? It's, you know, it's, it, it doesn't always come natural. And the fact that I can sit there with a digital camera and I can, I can run through it, I can see my results immediately. Um, so this idea of opening up the experimental thing, just like there's no right way of doing it. There's no wrong way of doing it. Just keep, you know, using the camera, using your tools. Um, look at the back of the camera, try those shutter speeds, you, you know, fast shutter speed, fast motion. Um, it's just a good way. That's, that's where people get hung up the most. You know, it's like you want to, you want to, uh, kind of remember those things. So just keep looking at the back of the camera, you know, and, and, and the back of the camera is always not just giving you the picture, but it's giving you the information. Like Tom and I tell in our class, like, if you don't know what to do, we, you know, we want people to shoot manually. I mean, you got an automatic camera. Let the camera take the picture and then look at the data. There's all this data that the camera gives you. So it's going to tell you your shutter speed and it's going to tell you your aperture. But in this case, we're talking about speed. Look at the speed and, and then look at the picture and see what it's doing. And then say, well, let me dial it in manual and change the shutter speed. And of course, when you change your shutter speed, you've got to change the aperture to compensate for that. But just let's 
we're working on shutter speed right now. Do that and then take the picture again and see what happens. Now, of course, and this will all set you up. Like if you, one of the things you want to do is, um, you know, I want to take pictures of birds in flight. You know, if I want to take, you know, I want to follow Tom's footsteps and take pictures of hawks. I might practice on pigeons first. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah seriously. <laughs> Those things are really hard to, I mean, they fly very fast. And, you know, I'm not going to put a pigeon in my portfolio, most likely, unless I take the perfect pigeon picture. But it's going to set me up to take pictures of a hawk when I see it. So I'll know, okay, you know, when I shot a pigeon, I shoot it at a 500th of a second. I follow it with my telephoto lens. You know, I do a shallow depth of field. You know, I know that because, I mean, you know, when I see a hawk, I'll know what to do. I want to shoot race cars really fast. So go to, you know, Times Square and shoot taxi cabs because they're essentially race cars in new york city <laughs> anyway <laughs> they don't drive as good but you know what i mean it's like this idea of practicing and don't wait for like i i'm gonna go shoot the racetrack today you know and i haven't practiced don't wait for that day you know you know you're gonna go to this place practice someplace else use your camera's data and it's like it's like i said it's an ongoing practice we're always learning so that's my long-winded sort of take away cool thing I, I knew I wanted to mention that I forgot about was that water can be so much fun if you can make the exposure length really long because any ripples in the water sort of get averaged out and you get not a reflection reflection like a mirror but you get a sort of a matte reflection of whatever is going on around the water and mm-hmm. I tried to do this during the day but there's always too much bloody light so you can either buy mm-hmm. neutral density filters to remove the light or you can do it by the light of the moon because mm-hmm. moonlight is the same color as sunlight but it's just way less bright. And so, you know, like Antonio says, experiment, experiment, experiment. But if your exposure time is 30 seconds, 45 seconds, a minute, that becomes quite time consuming. So I think I spent an hour and a half in the cold to get the one shot I'm going to stick in the show notes, which is a little boathouse next to a lake by moonlight. And the, mm. the effect on the water is cool. I've seen that boathouse. You have? Only not in that light. no. So uh, this is going to be, uh, I know we're not supposed to talk about tools, but is there any way to get Flickr to tell me what your uh, EXIF data is on that photo in if the new scroll version? Scroll down to the bit under where you add the comment and you hit the I button. It will tell you with really nice graphics that it was F4. Oh, uh, there we go. Two seconds, which tells you I was doing it with my Wow. Wow. That's a 30 second exposure. This looks like broad daylight. And you said, what time was it? Oh, middle of the night. Uh, about well, I was out there from about ten p.m. until nearly midnight, so sometime in there. Wow! I mean, that's there's a blue sky, but there's stars and clouds and a, yeah. just a, a milky soft uh, lake. Wow! Which goes back to what Tom was saying that at nighttime the sky is blue. We don't notice that it's blue, but it is blue. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that on the show. That was fun. Well, do I get to do a tube too, Bart? Of course. You skipped me. But, uh, I was getting to your phone. I know. I'm just going the pictures in Skype because that way I wouldn't forget anyone. <laughs> well, what I wanted to say was the best thing you can do is find a non-judgmental, teachy photographer to go, go with to do this. Because I, th- I think I mentioned the last time I was on the show, I could never do aperture priority until I flew to Ireland and walked around with Bart where Bart said, okay, try this. Okay, here's where you start. Move it a little bit this way. Do you see what happened? Now try it this way. Do you see what happened? Step by step by step. Um, Someone who likes to teach and likes to take photographs. Don't go with somebody snooty who's all about how amazing they are. That doesn't work. Or if they're a really good photographer but they're not a teacher at heart, that doesn't work either. So you got to find the perfect person. So I'm going to fly to uh, I guess to New York and have Tom teach me how to do shutter priority next. (laughs) Sounds fun. Anytime. Hey, I'm part of that team too. So. Oh, okay. We'll let you come in. We'll let the aperture guy come. (laughs) If the listeners are looking for a non-judgmental pair of people to walk around and teach them stuff, I think there's two of them on the show. I I think so. But I got to go to New York. Come to Red Hook. Yeah. Saturday we're doing we're doing a uh, actually a we're running the workshop out of an Irish pub in Red Hook, Brooklyn, down by the water. It's uh it's a wonderful place. Bait and tackle. It's a lot of fun. And That's then we tomorrow. walk around the waterfront. I was going to say, tomorrow. you're assuming this show gets published within the next 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll all have already been walking. We've already have done the yeah. walk. But yeah, we're doing oh, it tomorrow. Right. It sounds like the weather is going to be great, too, for a walk. So Yeah, maybe we'll send you, we'll send you guys a picture. Yeah. <laughs> oh, cool. 
but you guys do that regularly, right? That's not it's not a one off. This this is what you guys do. No, we yeah, do it. Yeah, yeah, we uh-huh. do it about we do it once a month, and then in between we have photo walks, which are don't include our um, class. It does have two non judgmental photographers who walk with you in cool areas and, and like uh, to teach. Yeah, yeah, we do a, in with our photo walks. We'll do that in the field rather than a classroom because it's a shorter period of time. But uh, our photo our photo classes we do. Once a month. Hopefully, we're going to start twice a month, right, Tom? We're going to try to get – we're doing one in Red Hook and we're going to try to do one in Coney Island, which I think is going to be a really cool location for people to come to and take pictures. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. a fun place to shoot. Excellent. Well, that, that sort of transitions us into the whole saying our goodbyes. So you guys are both from Switch to Manual and the URL is? SwitchToManual.com. And we're on uh, Twitter as well as Switch, the numeral two manual, because we saved a, a character. Yeah, characters. Switch to manual. And um, you can come to our website and see our schedule and our, our pictures. And uh, we also have a Flickr site someplace, too. And, and we're really trying to encourage the community of people, right, Tom, to, to join us. And, um, yeah, once people take the workshop, we stay connected um, online and share photos and um, you know, it's the nature of photography, helping yeah, and each working, other and enjoying yeah. the images. And, and for those of uh, – we're working on – we're in production on our online courses. So uh, I think I've just posted a picture in the show notes of our digital studio that we're, we're, we're in. So we're going to be putting our whole um, – we're be putting our whole class online. Uh, so for those of people who, can't, uh, people who can't come to New York, they'll at least be able to switch to manual from Idaho or – <laughs> San Diego. <laughs> I'm excited about or that. Dublin. Or Dublin. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe we will have to go to Dublin. Yes. You really, you really should. should. Dublin. Or San I Diego. I can show you cool stuff to point your lens at. There'll be a train cool. in the picture, but you'll. He probably yeah. will, yeah. I love trains. Tom yeah. will bring his hawk with him, of course. <laughs> we actually have a hawk where I work, um, although it doesn't seem to want to pose for my photographs. But he was brought in to get rid of the pigeons, and he made friends with the pigeons, and now they live happily together. That's hilarious. <laughs> Good for them. Yeah, it means no one can go into the bell tower because there's like mountains of guano. But anyway. Oh. <laughs> well, Bart, thank you so much for the opportunity. This was a lot of fun. Hey, no, it's great to and have Alice, you. Alice, great to um, digitally Tom, meet you. Do yeah. you. Yes, definitely. Do you have a Flickr? I know Antonio does, and I always stick that in the show notes, but do you have one yourself? And if so, can you send me the link? And if not, don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah, I do. I'll, I will send you the link, yeah. And I, actually, I have a show up right now in Manhattan, too. I'll, I'll try to get you, send you a link to that. No, do, and I'll stick them in the show notes. Then the listeners can uh, put some photographs to the face or to the voice. Cool. As it were. That'd be great. That'd be great. Now, Allison, you are from the Nocillacast Mike podcast, which is hosted at podfeet.com. That is correct, and you can find me on Twitter at Podfeet, and I do also have a Flickr uh, thing. I don't put a lot up there because I don't take a lot that makes me just go woohoo. But when I do, that's where it goes. Excellent. That will also be linked in the show notes. I've been your host Bart Bouchard. So you can find me at bartb.ie. And until next time, happy snapping. Listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Hey Tim. Huh? Tim, we're gonna do the show. Oh, I'm, dude, I'm playing Boba Fett Pinball Man. But Tim, it's time for us to record Tech Fan. Well, this is about. Oh, dang it. Oh, it went in the Sarlacc pit. I hate when that happens. Tim, um, Tim I know you like pinball, but we need yeah. to do our show. We okay. need to talk about technology and gadgets and even video games even pinball oh did you say something about pinball yeah i did but you weren't listening Mm, i think i'm gonna oh yeah Uh, i think it's gonna be a solo show go bubble fat oh huh i'm sorry i'll put this down what let's record a show it's the tech fan podcast right here on the stoplight network